We're continuing where we left off and um, with the thought of the week in prayer. We're going to have Dwight come forward with the thought of the week. Okay, the thought of the week for today is God has definite plans for us. Many Christians today love the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. This scripture, however, does not belong to the church. Just a light reading of the context reveals it is for Israel. It is a reference to bringing Israel out of captivity. God promises he will do it. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. That's from Jeremiah 29, 14. Why are so many clinging to the words here without really looking to see how they apply? Many just want to feel the importance of being part of God's plan. The fact that they take the words out of context means they really want their own plans of prosperity and blessing from God. There is certainly nothing wrong with wanting to be in the plan of God. However, the plan of God is for the church. It is not for Israel to dwell safely in the land. We have been lifted to a purpose that goes far beyond Israel's future. Scripture says it this way. But what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. From 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Focusing on Israel may be like trying to use a flashlight in the light of the bright midday sun. There are specific plans for us today. Don't be short-sighted and settle for that which, quote, has no glory now, unquote. And that is the thought of the week. I'd like to offer some commentary in that. There are many, many beautiful promises that God makes toward Israel in the Old Testament. And some of them are quite profound and reach us deeply and emotionally. But we must make a distinction between Israel and the church. We are not the Israel. We are not the nation of Israel if we have been born in the church age and we believe. Thing to remember though, is salvation itself is always the same through every age. It is by grace through faith. From Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. That applies to Israel, pre-Israel, the church, but what does make a difference for us in the church age when we believe is hugely different from what it was like for Israel. And as the thought of the week mentions, let us be careful to play, pay close attention to that so that we are not short-sighted by trying to use a flashlight in the midday sun, looking for that which has no glory now. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week. And now Dave will offer prayer for us. Oh, 
wife. Anyone has special prayer requests? Pray for me, Dave. My family. Everyone be talking. Yes, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the Universal Church, as we discussed earlier. Sure. Okay. Sure, everyone be talking. Yes, they could have thought of grace. Heavenly Father, we're coming to you, Lord, on this Sunday, Father. Ask for, uh, we have many requests, Father, that you will provide for us the needs and the safe provision that you have for us in eternity past. Father, we ask you as we go through this trial, this, this bad decision in life, Father. We ask you to pray for the families that are involved in this pandemic that we've gone through. We ask you, Father, to pray for the church throughout the whole world, Father. Pray for them that you would give us protection with them too, Lord. Father, we ask you, Lord, to pray for the believers and also pray for those who don't believe in you, Father. Maybe one day they will, Father, so they can have a chance to see the glorious riches that you have in store for us. Father, as we go through this service, Father, we ask you to give the pastor the correct words to come to his mouth, Father, so he can relate them to us, Father. And as we continue to go forward this week, as some of us have to go to work, some of us not, we pray for you, Father, to protect us in all harm and danger. Father, especially we pray for the children out here now, Father, also that they can be also instructed and that they can also, Father, look up to you where it comes to our health. Father, we ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you both. Uh, we are continuing where we left off in... Uh, our study from last week, we're still in verse uh, 20 of John 14. We're going to get back to it, and uh, we'll, we'll dig right in. The verse says, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The events on that day would change everything we ever knew about God. The event was momentous as it is described in the early chapters of the book of Acts. As the church age was born, and when we finally began to examine and investigate just what happened, and what we find is absolutely astounding. Theo theologically speaking, we learn more about God here than we did from creation. Here, we learn what God was thinking when he created all things. It all happened on that day. All of us were reduced, all, all of this was reduced to a 24-hour time period. For those fragile, whimsical disciples who endured by faith and dared to trust the words of the Lord, their eyes were opened on that day. He took that small group of puzzled, emotional, disappointed, and fearful disciples and made them a part of the foundation of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. On that day, they were transformed from an earthly people to a heavenly people in Christ. There was no doubt that they were changed, bolder, more believing and trusting, and more fervent to fulfill their new destiny. I can only imagine their faces as the spirit of truth began to reveal 
what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the, thing that, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I can certainly say that I am just as excited and ready to hear the manifold wisdom of God some 2,000 years later. Are you ready? Well, we covered these first two points on or phrases on that day you will realize and we ended i think somewhere in this third phrase that i am in my father we said that's abbreviated because it really talks about mutual possession what's mutual possession one person able to possess another person and we're going to define a little bit more as we go forward um, I gave some examples in uh, where the Father is in me and I am in the Father. We gave some of those verses. We also saw that there is another term for this, that they may be one. To be one, uh, these are the results from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what happened at Pentecost. Now, it's interesting, we talk about the baptism of the Spirit, but there were really five things that happened to us. One, baptism. Two, there was the filling, the sealing, the indwelling, and the gifting. All five of those things happened to us at Pentecost. So when we talk about baptism, we're talking about all of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of those things included. So baptism is a general term for all of those things. So we're talking about mutual possession. That's what we came to understand. I mean, it's, it's a literal understanding of when we talk about one person in another person and, and vice versa. I mean, it, it is literally something that happens as a result of the work done at Pentecost. So that tells us if this was already going on with Christ and the Father, right? The Father is in Christ. Father, Christ said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He said that. Then you would imagine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit must have happened to Christ. Right? Well, we can't say exactly you know, the scripture doesn't give us the detail of, oh, yeah, this is when the baptism of the Spirit happened to Christ. But we can imagine, and I already said that my thought is it must have happened when he got baptized by John in the River Jordan. That was the beginning of his ministry. So whatever happened to Christ literally is going to happen to us. So hence, we're at the verse, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father. And really, he's referring to the same thing, and the Father's in me. And you are in me, and I am in you. You're going to realize that. Just as Christ was saying, believe me when I tell you, in verses 10 and 11. Don't you believe that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father? So this mutual possession thing that ha happens as a result of the baptism of the Spirit happened to Christ already. And he was displaying it and telling us further 
that we would have this as well. The disciples were, were lost. They had no clue as to what Christ was talking about. It wasn't in their theology, not in the Old Testament anywhere that they can reference. They couldn't go ask anybody, hey, what do you think about what Christ said? Is that Because no one had a frame of reference or context to put that in. The only way that information could be understood is by means of God the Holy Spirit, or as Jesus would say, the Spirit of Truth. And then we get to John 16, he talked about it pretty distinctly. I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. When he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So that's, that's John 16. And when we get to those verses, and we'll, I mean, we've got a little ways to go before we get there. But from those verses, we can clearly see that God has a lot of information to share with us. The deep things of God. And we, we covered a lot of that uh, in the previous. So, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This mutual possession thing that happened to Christ is going to happen to us. That's what we need to understand. So, there are results of this uh, mutual possession. And we're going to describe it a little bit and we'll go over some scriptures. Hopefully, the scriptures will help us understand what the Bible means when he talks about this mutual possession. Uh, so, I don't, I'm not sure where I left off. I think, I think I'll remember that uh, point number B, mutual possession, what is this? One person able to possess another person. For us, it is by means of the Spirit. Now, we covered this, and I'll keep going quickly until we get to where we are. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And we, we looked at the verses there already. We already went back to John 10, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And when they said this, they wanted to kill Jesus. The Pharisees and Sadducees that were there, they were highly offended at the sayings of Jesus around this topic. In fact, every time he spoke like this, they reacted violently. They didn't just weren't they weren't just mad at him. They they wanted to uh, kill him literally. So some of the results of this are tough. In fact, in First Corinthians fourteen, it says a person without the Spirit. Uh, in other words, without the understanding of this information, will see what we th are saying is foolishness. Now imagine that. Foolishness. So the life that we have can be evaluated by others as foolishness when they don't when they don't respect and understand what happened at Pentecost. They will say it's foolishness. And I'm just saying these are the shoes that you're in. So I just want you to make sure you're aware. Now this is not true for everybody. You know, some people will say, yeah, they'll. People will say that the things you believe are foolishness. And guess what? They might be. <laughs> you got to make sure you are talking about the things that happened at Pentecost, right? From the spirit of truth. 
you have to have the information that was destined for our glory before time began. I mean, you have to have the deep things of God in order for somebody to properly say foolishness to you. It might be foolishness because what you're saying is foolishness. Make sure you're saying the right things. Uh, for Christ, we know he was saying the right things. And we have the record of what he was saying in many cases. So, this is unprecedented in the sphere of theological information that's out there. Nobody had any clue that this would happen. And when we say mutual possession, we said what it means, one person being able to... We're, we're going to get to this point number C where it says, to what end... Why did God want to do mutual possession in the first place? What, what does it accomplish for us? And what does it accomplish for God? So there's a couple of scriptures before we get to that. I just wanted to note that we, we already covered the John 10, 36 through 38 passage. And we jumped to 17 as well. And we looked at 20 through 23. But I just want to look at a couple verses and and some of the results of this. And I'm going to the Bible now to John 12 and verse 49. John 12, 49 says, This is Christ speaking, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say, commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So that's, <clears throat> that's an interesting verse to note because Jesus is saying that the words that he's been given to speak, the Father is the one who gave those words to Christ. And then when you go to John 14 and verse 24, there's another thought. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. That's John 14 and 24. So the words that he's been telling the disciples, all, all these words didn't really originate with Jesus. They are what the Father has told him to say. So it is more than just I studied what the Father wanted me to say and then I said it. It is literally the Father living in Christ who is present in Christ and able to interact with the disciples so much so that he is able to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, show us the Father is a misnomer, first of all, for another reason. The Father is invisible. You can't see the Father. The Father is the Spirit. He doesn't have flesh and blood. He doesn't have a body as we perceive and can identify a person based on their features of that body. So Father doesn't have any of that. But, but what does he have? He has Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God. When it says he's the image, meaning the visible representation of who the Father is. Now, why can we have an image of somebody in us or expressing themselves through us is this whole thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That, that is the uniqueness of what God has done for us. 
So if Christ is the image of the invisible God, he is the express image of his person. And the Father has put his stamp of approval on the fact that what is happening in Christ fully represents who he is. That's what the Father is saying by saying that. Now, guess what? We are in the image of Christ, which is to say that Christ is in us and able to express himself through us. Now, the question is, is it a perfect image or is it an imperfect image? Well, there is a time a coming <laughs> when we will determine all of that. For Christ, the answer is already done. Christ is the image of the invisible. There's no doubt. The Father said, in him I am well pleased. He fully represents who I am. In fact, I'm happy. It's not just equivalent. Okay, he matches everything I told him to say. No, the Father's like, I'm happy with the work of Christ. As far as portraying who I am. That is that's a bold statement to say that I, he is fully approved. What about us? I, do, when people talk and interact with you, can they see Christ living in you? Is it Christ who is teaching or is the words that you speak are the word? No, I don't think that that is a perfect scenario. And we come from a position of spiritual death. And I would also note that our... Our expression is one of spiritual growth, where we're growing into the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. We are being transformed into his image. Uh, so this is, this is a progressive thing for us. And God has not given us the stamp of approval. But on judgment, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, and you can now see what the standard is. The standard is Christ. You're supposed to represent Christ in this world. Well, have you done it? Can Christ say that, that person reflects who I am? Well, there will be degrees of that. And those degrees will be represented in terms of um, who has fulfilled the, the plan, who has grown up to allow Christ to mature in them or not. Those are important factors for us to note. So, couple things to note. Part of that transformation process is about, um, hold, hold on a quick second, resuming back. So, as I said, we, we were just discussing this whole thought about mutual possession. There's another angle to pursue there. And for that, I want to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, 6 and 7. Follow me here. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The fact that we're in Christ Jesus is another way of saying that we are one with him. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So there's so many aspects to this. I don't know. I keep going back and forth about what I did cover, emphasizing 
things I covered, uh, you know, so just bear with me. That's all I can say. So to note, what is a result of mutual possession here? It is the fact that that person that's in you, we're going to talk about the in you person, because that was one of the things that Christ wanted to emphasize about the Father. The Father was in him. And as a result of that, it was the Father's will that was being done by Christ. Not only was it the Father's will being done, but the Father himself was doing it because he was in Christ. He, he was being represented in Christ and he was able to communicate on the ground in a body to people just the way Christ would. This is interesting to note. The words I speak are not my own, but they are the Father's. The Father is living in me. He's doing the works. This is the relationship that we have as a result of Pentecost. So that says the person who possesses you uh, is able to live their lives through you. That's interesting we can say that because that sounds a little spooky. <laughs> I must say. Because... <laughs> We're talking, I know there is such a thing as demon possession, <clears throat> where demons can take up residence in another person's body. And they can make that person do what they want them to do. They could say things. That they, they can express themselves through that person. Well, remember, whatever Satan does, he tries to mimic what God did or does. And in this case, God literally is telling us that the persons of God are in us. And one, the Holy Spirit sets up our bodies as temples. Right? Temples is for what? Why does, what are we talking about? Temple? Temple represents God uh, coming into this habitation or this temple so that he can display who he is to the people around you. So every temple, if a temple was just abandoned and nobody went to the temple and God was in it, it wouldn't accomplish the purpose that God wants. He wants people to come to the temple so that they can learn about who he is. And you are that temple. So the whole key is those scriptures that talk about, well, you are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ and God, right? Your body, your, your time on this earth has come to an end. Once God took of residence in your body. So that's one of the features is that the persons of God, well, let's stay with Christ for a minute. <laughs> the, the Father is able to express himself through the person, the physical person of Christ on the earth. The Father could see, touch, taste, feel through the person of Christ. He, if he's occupying his body, that means the senses that Christ has on the earth, the Father is able to possess. And in turn, possession means experience. So the Father can experience what, what it's like to be a human being through the person of Christ. Father is, that's one of the things. So now there's another thought, right? When we reverse this, now, there's not a lot of information that we have about Christ expressing or uh, interacting 
in the experience of the Father. And we know that that is the case. But we don't have scripture that says, and, and what it means for the Father to interact uh, or, or I'm sorry, for Christ to enter, to experience what it was like for uh, him possessing the Father. Hopefully I didn't confuse anybody. I'll say it again. We don't have a lot of scripture related to what it was like for Christ to possess the life of the Father, what the Father was experiencing in heaven. Right? We don't. We we know it happened because. Christ said it. He says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I am in the Father speaks to the same thing as the Father is in me. And what are we talking about? We're talking about one person possessing or sharing the experience of the others. Right? So now, all of this complicated stuff is going to happen to you at Pentecost. That's what he's tell Christ is telling the disciples why we're stuck here in verse 20 for so long trying to make sure we don't just rush past it and miss some of the implications that are here we'll take our time is there any rush i don't think so 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 those are some of the results of one person possessing another now this is kind of uh, interesting when we think about uh what are some of these implications? And point number C in our notes, 3C, we're going to pick up mutual possession. To what end? What, what is God doing with mutual possession? Why, why does he introduce such a thing? What benefits uh, are for God? And what are the benefits that are for us? Uh, if, if in We'll, we'll say what the benefits are. I'm sure God has a plan. He's doing this. must be for a reason. So the first thought is, and I break this down in two points. Really, there's a whole lot more than two points. But knowing the Father's eternal purposes. Okay, so God the Father is in Christ so that he can reveal his eternal purposes. That's one of the things, one of the reasons why uh, the Father is in Christ. Now, I could, I could give you um, Ephesians three seven through twelve, where we might as well. I'm already in Ephesians two, so I'm going to read Ephesians. Go there, Ephesians three seven through twelve. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the uh, the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we look at those verses, those verses clearly define not only that there is this mystery, this age that was hidden, all this is happening at Pentecost and now available to us to know. Right? We can now know what the Father's eternal purpose is. And those five verses are given to us to help us know where we fit in. Not only what our job is, 
our calling, what we're doing down here, since he has given us this Pentecost uh, understanding. But, but what eventually it does for us, it allows us to see the Father's eternal purpose. That's the eternal plan, what was in God's mind when he created all things. And not only is that known by us, but we are heralds of that. We are supposed to go out and tell people about this. Paul says, it's my job to make it plain to the Gentiles. And then later, in the next verse, he says, to make it plain to everybody. And then he says, the church is supposed to make it plain as well to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. And all of this is according, verse 11, to his eternal purpose. Now that is nowhere found in the Old Testament. That is not, that is information that is at the root of the purpose for the church. And if we don't see that, obviously we can't live that. If we don't see that, we can't um, display or take a, upon ourselves the roles that have been assigned to us. We won't be able to do it. So that's the first thing, knowing his eternal purposes. And then Hebrews 2, Hebrews 2, and what other verse I have is 10 and 11, which says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Wow. Literally, this verse is saying, and it says a lot, but one of the things it's saying is that to make Christ perfect, it, he needed us in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting, right? This is proper, right? It's, that we should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Yeah, this is Christ not only suffered for our sins, but he suffered to this end as well. To make, that we and him together will complete what the Father's ideal for him was in the first place. That is to bring many sons into glory. And that's key in the way we think about these things. In verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, or we should just say of one. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And we, remember we talked about how Christ is the image of the invisible God, and he is the exact image. Now I'm going to go to Hebrews 1 to illustrate <clears throat> verse 2. But in these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at, his, at the right hand of, of the majesty in heaven. So the sun is the exact 
it says. It didn't say close. And say he's the, the Father is fully able to present who He is in the Son. Now back to Hebrews two. So we're in verse uh, eleven. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, or we could just say of one. So the baptism of the Spirit that happened to Jesus, we could say whether whether it happened, when it happened, all that. Well, the results of it are the same results that happened to us, and that's what we got, the baptism of the Spirit. We're And that makes us one, one with Christ. And Christ said that they may, be, not only that we're one with him, but they may also be one with him, the Father. That's in John 17, 22, 21 and 22. Not just as we are in him, we are that we are also one with the Father. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. It's interesting. When, why would he be ashamed? Why, why would he be ashamed? Uh, one of the reasons is because of who we are, what we've come from. But nope, the work of God is so complete in our stead that Jesus is not ashamed at all of who we are. We're in him now. We're not no longer in Adam. We're in him. And we talk about this process of transformation. We, we said before, are we the perfect you know, representation of Christ? Are we the image of of Christ? No, because we are being transformed into his images. It is a process. But even with all of that, the fact that we came from Adam and that we are slowly being transformed into his image uh, from one degree of glory to another, Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's how complete the work is. That's how important your what you're doing down here is so what you can do is not destroy any of the work things that god has done for you but you can add to this by you receiving eternal rewards for how you used your free will while here on earth so it's important you have a role to play so to, that's to the end. That's to what end? Well, to exploit the Father's eternal purposes. If the Father gave everything over to Christ, which he says, you are heir now, you're the son, everything I have belongs to you. So now Christ has the eternal plan of the Father. That's his mind. Christ says the Holy Spirit is going to take from what is mine and make it known to you. Everything that father has belongs to me so he he's letting you know his role as son the fact that you are one with him says you have the same role as son so now you should be what the information that you are being transformed in into from one degree of glory to another is the father's plan now you're already done like it, he already, uh, like it says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Like positionally, we already are in a place of glory. Even if we did nothing. God could have took you the moment you believed in Christ. And translated you to heaven. And you would have been just 
fulfilling the Father's plan. What we're only talking about is the addition here, not subtraction. Will you use your free will to exploit the Father's plan while here on earth? That's your... God will... There will be a judgment to determine what you did, but it's God pur- God's purpose that you would flourish, that you would have fruit, that you will grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, that's important. That's one thought of the Father's eternal purpose. That's why this mutual possession. God, the Father was in Christ, <clears throat> reconciling the world to himself. Christ is in us, right, fulfilling the very purpose of the Father. And this is what we, this is what it means to be about the Father's business for us. It means to be transformed, to be his representatives here in the world, his witnesses of these things. And so, just like it says, to be ambassadors for the new creation that's now where he's calling these many sons into glory. This is our job, to tell people not just to come and be saved, but to come and be a part of this glorious body, the church. So that's a part of who we are. I mean, what we're doing here is exciting to me. It's super. It, 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 the bounds of it are completely off the rails. We can't even talk about it in human terms. So, it's exciting. So, let's let's dig in to the second point here of mutual possession to what end? Point number 2 is eternal fellowship with the persons of God. So, again, to Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 which we already read. But there's one other verse. I want to turn to in Ephesians Ephesians 2. So we read 6 and 7 where it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In order that just... Well, we, we need to remember who Christ is. We've been raised with him, seated with him. Christ himself sat down next to the his majesty. And now, why is he sitting? Because at the right hand, the place of highest honor. That's who we're talking about. Christ and we are in him so that means we are seated in him in heavenly realms that's the position we have that we've been raised to we weren't there when we were born for sure but we have been raised to that position so in verse 22 now I'm going to start with um, 20 just so we have this straight with the context. He's talking about the church. Verse 20, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So this built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. He's talking about the church. How is the church built? Here it is. It's the foundation and we are supposed to earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We're supposed to cont- not change the foundation. Our purpose is clear. God made one new man 
out of the two, the Jews and Gentiles. We're not to be Jews. We're not to be Gentiles. We're not Israel. But one new man, something completely new. And what are what's the foundation of that? It's apostles, prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. That's the church. Now here's the two verses that are key. In him. All right, now we're talking in Christ. What is the whole building? Now this whole building is representative of the church. We could also say in other verses, the whole building represents the body of Christ, the fullness of him. Right? Or we could use the wife husband-wife analogy. The husband, you know, the wife is the building. <clears throat> what he is washing with the water of the word that, he, word that he may present to himself one day. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So here, the analogy is about building. In him, the whole building is joined together. And notice what happens as a result of this. What God is, the work he is doing in us and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And we already started talking about what a temple was and what God needed for a temple. What was his purposes behind having a, such a thing as a temple? So we're not at this place where it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Not yet, because God is still working this out. He's still calling many sons into glory. He's He's still uh, bringing us to the fullness and stature of Christ. But this is the eternal purpose that we might rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, this is, if this is in the eternal state, what, what would God need a temple in the eternal state for? Because God will finally be able to show who he is through Christ. When I say through Christ, Christ is perfected when we are joined to him and we are complete. So when we're complete, then we are one with Christ. And that is God's full expression. The Father's full expression is through the church or through Christ. Let's put it that way. Really, when we say through Christ, we're talking about Christ and the church as one. So really, we could just say Christ. That includes us. So in him, the building joined together rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The temple is for everybody else. It's not for us because we're part, we are the temple. It's just like when we read before where it says the church is displaying the manifold wisdom of a God to principalities and powers and so forth. Right? We are displaying something that God wants to display through us to the principalities and powers and so forth. So when we talk about this temple that's in eternity, in the eternal state, what we're saying then is God wants to have his expression. His expression is not fully seen unless it is through the agency or the the channel at which he wants to display it, that he's pleased to display it in. And what is that? What is that channel? What is that method? It is Christ. That's how the full expression of 
the Father is to be displayed. And this is not just to people who are uh, trying to come to be saved. This is in the eternal state. God, who is invisible, wants to reveal who he is to his creation. How does he do it? A temple. This is the analogy given to us. A, temp a holy temple in the Lord. That's key. Much can be said about this. I've, I've written much about this and I've loved to talk more about this, but not in this form. Probably one where there's give and take. Let's, let's talk about it. Verse 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So there's external witness, the temple, eternal, and there is internal. There's something going on. And in him, you too are being built together. So we're not finished yet, but God is working on this. To become, right? And this is become is in the future state, right? To In eternity, future. A dwelling, right? And this is, a dwelling is a, an abode, a home, a place to where we can live, a dwelling in which God lives. So not only do we, are we in this place, but the persons of God are also in this place. And what are we talking about? We're talking about a dwelling in which God lives. And just we're in it, in him you too are being built together. We, we're, we're part of this. We're in the dwelling. Our persons are in the dwelling. And this is a reference to eternal fellowship with God. And how does it facilitate it? How is all this done? By means of his spirit. By his spirit. So we have two uh, results. When we say to what end? This is to what end. That God would have what he desired from eternity past before he created anything. This is obviously something he wanted. If he's seeing through human history to this end, then obviously this is something he wanted from eternity past that he is going to accomplish through human and angelic history. So that's when we, we answer those questions. I don't feel I've answered them. We could... We could look at a couple other verses. To, we already looked at the ones in Ephesians, but the Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let's look at that. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. And this is, you're done. This happened already. You positionally are seated in heavenly places in Christ. This is true. Now, what else is true of you? Here's an admonition for you. To set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So this is something you can do. We talked about, what are you doing down here? What, what are you supposed to be doing? Okay, all this happened for you? This is true of you? What are you supposed to do? What's your responsibility in this? 
you can't take away from it since then you have been raised with Christ. You can't take it away. What can you do? You can add. Set your hearts on things above. Not only are you adding what you should be doing anyway, but you're adding the fact that uh, this is God will say he will reward those who diligently seek him. God, you should be, as a, as a believer in Christ, this is, should be your normal course. And whether you know it or not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be your normal course when it's all said and done. But now, while you're here in the battle, this is what you ought to be doing. Setting your mind on earthly, on heavenly things. So now watch this. We talked about mutual possession. We could say Christ in us. And what does it mean? It means uh, Christ is living in us. That means his mind is being expressed in us. What's his mind? The Father's eternal purpose. Right? That's our purpose. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Right? We just discussed all of that. That's Christ in you. What about you in Christ? How are you get how do you get to experience all that he has in heavenly realms? Here it is. He's what he's telling you you need to do in order to experience the other part of the mutual possession. You need to set your mind, verse two, on things above, not on earthly things. This so when we think about the Christian way of life, the Christian way of life is this. It is not about earthly things. It is about heavenly things. Setting your mind uh, on things above, where Christ is seated. It even tells you to be specific, right? where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we don't want this to be a mystery. Right? The, the mystery is about what was hid in God and, and what God was able to reveal through his apostles and prophets after Pentecost. That's the mystery. It was revealed. It was God's heart. So now what you can uh, when it says what is still hidden is what the world can't see is that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ. The world will not see that. What's, what's the world going to see? The world's going to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. What are, what are you going to see? What are you going to experience? Right here. Your life what God is now made of you. What is your role for the eternal state? Who are you in Christ? All of that is going to be exploited and explored by you as you keep your mind focused on things above. This is the mind of Christ. We talked about the resurrection life. How can we live the resurrection life? Well, you can't live it. Christ has to live it in you. One verse in John 14. I'll just, I know we're coming to the end of our time. I don't even know how far we got, but that's okay. John 14. One verse in there was 19. 
Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And here's that, those six, seven words. Because I live, you also will live. The life of the Christian is not us mimicking what we have seen and heard Christ do. It is this mutual possession. There's Christ alive in you. He is living in you. Paul said it, literally. He says, I am dead. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith is the thinking of Christ. The body of truth. That's what he lives by on the earth. Christ is living in him. So all of this is true of us. The more we talk about it, it will be more common to you. And we need to make sure that that is the case because that is the conversation, that's old English, that we have while we're here on earth. That is our conversation. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And it's all of this fits into what we've been talking about of what the Spirit reveals. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Why are we wasting our time on things that don't matter? Set your mind on things above. Back to Colossians 3, we're going to close it there. Yeah, so your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's, that's who you are positionally. And we talked about that special place. And, and we're using all these analogies and metaphors, but hopefully the meaning of all of them come through of who you are and what God has made of you. And he's saying, for those who can adjust their thinking to that now, who begin to... to be transformed into that image, the thoughts will be rewarded and who are able to walk according just as he walked. For you died, your life is, you don't have any legal right anymore to live down here. Even though we do it, even though that is what happens, but all of that should be progressing to the place where God is saying, where you recognize what Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Hopefully we can get to that point in our lives. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of what you have called us to be as we discover the properties of of who we are and the dynamics of this mutual possession. We pray that you would give us wisdom. Teach us, lead us, and guide us into all truth as we pursue you, as we diligently seek you. We thank you for those who are here, those who are listening. We pray for wisdom and that each of us may come to know face-to-face -face who you are and who they are in Christ. All this we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Stand by. Amen.
may the grace of God surround you. May his light direct your path. May his spirit lead and guide you as the weeks and months go past. May your soul be blessed and may your joy be full of the love that hears thy praise. As you obey his call, remember most You're a child of the King. May the peace of the Lord. All right, folks. Go with you. The peace Enjoy the rest of your day.